Well, I tell you what, my heart's ready to receive the word. I don't know about you, but you are in for a treat this morning. This church loves Pastor Frank, and he is coming this morning to give us a great word. Can we give him a BFA welcome this morning as we welcome him to the pulpit? I love to lift my voice with others in the house of God. And I appreciate a worship team that is doing the same thing. They're not song leading, they're leading us in worship. What a delight to be with you today. I'm sorry it's under the circumstances. Uh, the circumstances are this. I got a call about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. And your pastor sounded so pitiful, I could not turn him down. I've only had a kidney stone once in my life, and uh, I had great compassion, and he said, all right, get off the phone so I can pray and study, and <laughs> I will be there, and uh, it was a joy to share the Word of God this morning in the first service, and it is my pleasure to share with you again. Uh, there are many things that this church believes because they come from the Bible. Our confession of faith is the Bible, the Word of God. But we are a part of a group of churches that have amalgamated and identified 16 fundamental truths. You can rest easy. I'm not going to preach on all 16. And then at the core of the 16, there are four that we consider four truths. I have the privilege of sharing two of those with this church when you were worshiping out in the courtyard during this uh, interesting season that the church has gone through. And uh, I told my wife during that time, I hope people don't think I'm unfriendly, but one time I came over, I was facing back surgery, just been tested for COVID, didn't have it, and I had to make sure I did not interact with anybody before I had the surgery that week. The next time I came over, little I had just learned I had COVID. <laughs> so I had to sneak in, preach, and get out without interacting with anybody. Fully masked. Felt like they, you know, I should put a bag over my head or something. And, and needless to say, I, I survived it. So um, in those two times, I preached one of those the first time, core truths, and that is we believe in the power of salvation. This church is a church that's about redeeming the lost. That's why you hear about missions, but it's also in our own home community. Another time I got a chance to share with you something that this church believes, and that is that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that what he did while he walked this earth, he will do through us today and now. We don't always do it as well. And we have the challenge, he said, uh, that we would do greater. I'm still working on getting to the bottom end of that rather than the greater. But that's his promise of the potential for us. And today I felt directed and pressed in my spirit to share one more of those core truths. And that is, we believe in the power of his return. Would you give him a hand? Because Jesus 
is coming back again. Now, if you've been a Christian for a short time, you may have just heard that. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard it for a long time. When I first heard it, I was concerned that he'd come back before I'd got a chance to get married and have a family. Well, he has not returned yet, but that does not dissuade my faith because the scriptures tell us very clearly things that we can look at. And so I want to remind you of that today. And as the scripture says, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance of these vital truths that Jesus has taught us. I would be reluctant to believe such a fanciful story if it did not come from a man who rose from the grave, who conquered death. And I believe it with all my heart. I've invested my life in the reality that Jesus Christ paid the debt for your sins and for my sins. And made a way of confidence in which we can know that we are connected with God in a wondrous family manner. Jesus rose from the grave in 40 days. The risen Jesus made eyewitnesses of his resurrection. He convinced his disciples by constantly being with them. He literally showed himself to over 500 people at one time. So powerful was the truth of the resurrection that we don't find any records other than paid records. People that were trying to prove he didn't rise from the dead, but they had no evidence, so they had to pay people to lie and say that the disciples had stolen his body. They were ridiculous stories. But the most fanciful of all was the truth. The tomb was empty. Rome was defeated. Christ is risen. And we are gathered on this Lord's day because it was on the first day of the week that he rose from the grave. And it's not something we just celebrate on Easter. It's something we celebrate every time we come to church on the Lord's day. He worked wonders, and the Bible says, infallible proofs, day in and day out, 40 days, the risen Jesus did that. And he taught his disciples what it was they needed to know about the kingdom of God. You'll find it documented in Acts 1, 3. And this was just a reminder of what he taught when he was ministering here on this earth before his crucifixion. At one time when people were concerning their, are discussing their concerns, like you and I have the same kind of concerns, where we're going to live, what's our house like, how do we have shelter, our clothes, our food, and Jesus reminded them to get their priorities straight. Now, he didn't say we shouldn't actually, uh, he didn't say to us that these were not important things to us. What he did say is get your priorities straight, and here's these words, but seek first. Let me emphasize that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He has given us the ability to work and earn a living, to be creative and start businesses. He's given us understanding and intelligence and wisdom. Sometimes we don't use it, but he's given it to us. 
He says, make your first order the kingdom of God. Let's define that a little bit. I remember, this just comes to my mind right now, one of the great joys of my life is watching God work in such a way that someone comes to Jesus and when you've led someone to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they, you see the joy of salvation on their face, it's greatly rewarding. But there's one thing that stands out in my mind this morning. There was a day that there was a young lady in a church that frequented our church in Ojai where I pastored for 12 years. She was oppressed demonically. I don't know that I could say she was demon-possessed, but she was certainly under the influence. And one day, she had interrupted the services enough, and we sat down, and I had some prayer support. We sat across my desk, and I explained the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the shed blood of Christ. We had prayed for her, but it was time now to confront the enemy. And I commanded that demon to leave her life. You could see the oppression in the eyes. And at first, there was no response. That's because the demon wasn't listening. To the authority of Christ, he thought I was playing around, but I was not again commanded and reached my hands to each side of her head and ordered him out in the name of Jesus. And if you've ever been where there was darkness of the soul and suddenly you see the light come on in the eyes, it is a powerful thing as there was a release and the oppression and the depression and all of it went and there was a deliverance by the power of the living God. When these kind of things happened in the Bible, demons were cast out. And I don't just mean spiritual entities under the, under the order of the devil himself, fallen angels. Sometimes we have our own private demons. It's the way we think. But either one. It is the kingdom of God to bring deliverance. And Matthew 12, 28 tells us, when these deliverances happen, the kingdom has come to you. Mark 1.5, the words of Jesus. He announced it. He said, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Every time you share your faith with someone, and if they at that time put their trust in Jesus, you are functioning as part and parcel of the kingdom of God. Now, I know this is not all the kingdom, but it is what we have now. It is present here for us to bring deliverance and to enjoy that deliverance ourselves. Jesus said these words in Luke 10, 9. Heal the sick, and say the kingdom of God has come. I do not understand why every sick person we pray for is not healed. Sometimes godly people, people we love greatly and we spend a great deal of time praying for them, don't seem to get the healing now. And some go on to be with the Lord until that day of the ultimate healing. 
I, I don't have answers for all that. But I know that God does. And I also am not sure that the world has answers for those that when we do pray for them, they are miraculously healed and the kingdom of God is displayed as has happened to some of you sitting here and me as well. I'd like to say that I uh, was prayed for when I got COVID. And what a miracle. 14 days later, I was well. <laughs> but that's because God in his grace has given us immune systems. And there is nothing, it is somewhat miraculous, but it isn't the thing we call a miracle. It is the natural course of God's miraculous creativity. There's been other times I've experienced an instantaneous and marvelous healing. That wasn't one of them. It would have been a good time for God to come through. I had to preach here. <laughs> but that's not the way it worked. I don't know what God's plan was in that. But I have learned through the years I will trust him. As Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to do without. I call it spiritual breathing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've not quite gotten where Job did when he said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. But I'm working on it. Heal the sick, say the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, in this kingdom they will come from the east, the west, the north, and the south. They will come, according to Luke 17, 20. I'm so glad he said that. Because we are the west. I've met many trips to what we call the Holy Land. I've enjoyed it. I've learned many things. I wouldn't trade those times in Israel for anything. I have better understanding of my Bible. But can I tell you, the king's subjects, the kingdom is here. Now, and the dirt in Israel is no more holy than the dirt in Bakersfield. This is his holy land. Wherever you walk, wherever you stand, I've learned long ago with the uh, <laughs> wonderful prayer that the Lord gave us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, maybe that hasn't happened everywhere, but I can make it happen where I'm standing. By being obedient to him. And I've got to say, maybe two out of three times I am successful at that. <laughs> But my trust is in him because there is a wider kingdom than where I stand and where we sit here in Bakersfield. East, west, north, and south, they will come. This is a message of good news for the entire world. It's not for one race. It's not for one class. It's not for one type of government. It's not. It is the kingdom of God. And he says these interesting words. It doesn't come by observation. It is within you. And I would say it is within you or it is not within you. It depends on whether you know the king because the kingdom of God is wherever the king resides and his presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
There's been a lot of argument of uh, whether the kingdom is now or the kingdom is coming or the kingdom is near. And I want to tell you the answer to that. Yes. Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. With our faith in Christ, the kingdom is within me, and it is now. Has he returned from the heavens as you saw him go? No, the kingdom is near. But in that sense, it's not here. But we shall occupy until he comes, and we, each and every one, shall be outposts of the kingdom of God that will ultimately rule the entire world. And there's a lot of the world they can't even understand what we talk about. There was a fellow that came to Jesus one night. He was a ruler. He was a member of what was called the Sanhedrin, the ruler of the Jews. His name was Nicodemus. He came discreetly at night so no one would see him going to Jesus. Now, if there's anyone here on the journey and you're thinking about your spiritual needs and you haven't quite come to Jesus and you're trying to keep it under your hat so your friends don't know that you are kind of sensitive to this, man, don't feel guilty about it. However you come, come to Jesus. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, who's supposed to be a ruler, a knowledgeable person. And Jesus told him that you could not see the kingdom unless you were born again. For many years, I thought once I was born again, I, it, I'm in the kingdom. I, and I was, I was in the kingdom. And, and this is it, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm headed for heaven, should I die? And, that, and that's wonderful. But salvation is more than a fire insurance that you get and put in a drawer somewhere. It is a life changing, transforming an event. And he said, if you don't, if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom. Years ago, I had a newspaper person in my office. They were selling us some ads. And she said, oh, well, I was over talking to me in this one place. Where they were, what was it? There were those born, born one more time people. <laughs> she didn't know she was right in the pit. <laughs> and I explained to her that there is if they haven't been born one more time they're not a Christian you can't see the kingdom unless you're born from above enlightened by him John 3.3 3. you become a part of the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17, Paul kind of defines our present kingdom with this summary. And it's not all there is, but this is a summary. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How would you like to just buy into that? It is righteousness because it's imputed by God. You know why God imputes? That is, he counts righteousness to my ledger because I don't have any. And he requires it. So he says, I'm going to give you some. When the Father looks at me, he has to see through the screen of Jesus and his perfect life. Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Righteousness is being lived out. I'm working on it. But more important, he's working on it. Because my works will not get me into heaven. 
Only his works will. And grace is not only the wonders of being forgiven, but grace is the power to overcome what we needed to be forgiven from. Grace is your portion of the kingdom today. And maybe there's a besetting sin, a problem you have. I want to tell you that God's grace is sufficient. Not that he's going to ignore it, but he's going to empower you. He will forgive you again and again. Now, don't traffic in it. We were warned. We're not to sin, so grace will abound. We are to abound in grace so we can overcome our sin. He loves you, and his kingdom is present. The peace of his kingdom comes from right standing with God and trust in him daily. I know I have peace because if I were to die today, and I'll do my best not to do it during the service, <laughs> I know that I would wake up in the presence of the living God. I would be in the presence of Jesus. And I recall one time asking somebody if they knew for certain that when they died, they'd go to heaven. They said, I would never be so prideful as that. No, I don't. Folks, that's not pride. I make a boast, but my boast is in Christ Jesus. Either when I die, I go to heaven, or God's a liar. Because he said so. Jesus said so. And God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Therefore, I know based on his word. Yeah, but what if I failed sometime this morning? There is no what if. Since you have failed... His grace is there to undergird you. His grace is there to surround you. And the peace of God satisfies my heart, my soul. And then joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom. It is the growing mark of maturity in an unhappy world. If anybody, anybody should have joy in their lives, it should be God's people. You know, I have met some, quote, Christians, that the older they get, the grumpier they get. I don't know what they got in church or what kind of church they've been in. I'm not going to believe it on their church, but something's wrong. That's not the way it should be. Now, I have a few joints that don't belong in a wonderful body like this. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the joy of the Lord is going to mark me till my dying breath because it comes from my knowledge of Jesus Christ. Whatever hurts, <laughs> sometimes if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. What, what, whatever is happening as the years roll by, I know that the day will come when we will all have a brand new body. Now, I expect a full head of hair. <laughs> they have to be, because as I lost them, I numbered them and put them in a box for him to use later. No, I did not do that. <laughs> and since I met my wife late in life, she might not recognize me when we get over on the other side because it'll all be jet black. <laughs> now, it could be today, but I... Put that bottle back away and quit using it. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
Didn't say you wouldn't hurt. Didn't say you wouldn't have problems. But in the midst of it all, it is the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And joy is a conscience, constant decision that I will rely on him. I will live and breathe in Jesus Christ, my Lord. I know the end is a glorious conclusion. The kingdom is manifest wherever the king is present, in the presence of the king. There is his kingdom. The scripture tells us that John, that is John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I love his answer. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. But, here it comes. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. But I want to know when you're coming back. I want to know when the return. I want to know, uh, none of your business. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's why this church is a missions church. And that's why this church is reaching their community. That's why you as believers are to share the love of God and the goodness of Christ. Because if you're walking with Jesus, he's not turning you into a grump. He's filling you with the joy of the Lord. I've had some Christians say, you know, you've got to get out there because people want what we got. And I watch him for a while and I say, I don't want what he's got. <laughs> get the reality. Let the kingdom of God rule your heart. Witnesses unto the end. But aren't we in the end times? Oh, I hope so. I've met people say, I don't read the book of Revelation. It's scary. Oh, it's wonderful. And it is scary to the world, but to us as believers, don't let it scare you. It is a promise of a better tomorrow. It is filled with the wonders of the fulfillment when the kingdom that is within you and the kingdom that is near becomes the kingdom that is here and the skies will open and the king will descend, ultimately will conclude with a new city coming down, the city of our God that will be the center of the government of the whole world. And we won't have to worry about elections, whether they're fraudulent or whether they were accurate. We won't have to worry about political parties. Nothing will be appealed to a Supreme Court because the Supreme King of King of Kings will settle all the issues. Amen. Give him praise. Now, folks, I am, I'm American through and through. I, red, white, and blue, all that kind of stuff. And I know some people are so Christian they can't understand that you also might be to have a, an allegiance to your country. I'm not one of those. So those that are that spiritual can pray for me. And I know that with them, Jesus loves them, and I'm working on it. So, the Lord is coming in a powerful way to bring his kingdom 
in an expanded manner to this world. Do not set dates. That was an embarrassment to a guy by the name of Miller, who they were Millerites years ago. All the people went out on mountains and they, they sold all their goods and put on white robes and waited for what they later called the great disappointment. And that's what it was. Because they disobeyed God. I was pastoring a church in Ojai, California for 12 years. And, excuse me, it was before Ojai. It was in Cerritos. Uh, where I was there for 13 years. And in 1988, there was a little pamphlet put out. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Everybody was all excited until I, as a pastor, got up and did the unthinkable. So I want to tell you, Jesus is not coming this year. Now, he could have still come, but I just, I just had this great feeling that he's not going to come when somebody's being a fool like this. What was the purpose of that? I'm, I'm sure he believed it, but you know what? He sold those pamphlets for a dollar apiece, and he sold millions of them. And became, as far as I'm concerned, another embarrassment to the church because it's a disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says clearly that we don't know. We'll talk about it as we close this in a little while, but Jesus will return. That is sufficient for me to know. And 50 days after Passover, and Passover was what led to the crucifixion, at the Feast of Pentecost, the disciples were gathered in the temple. They were in something called an upper room in the temple complex. There they conducted a selection. They were having a church business meeting in the temple. They were electing a president, or uh, not a president, but a, a representative, a replacement, that's the word I was looking for, for Judas Iscariot. And their selection was to cast lots. And once the business was out of the way, they obeyed Jesus. They were uncertain of exactly what was going to happen, but he said this. He said, I want you to wait. 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 Isn't that the thing that we're all best at? I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. It's kind of like the guy that said, Lord, would you give me patience? And I want it now. <laughs> Wait. And so they waited. And they waited. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the scripture tells us, as they waited for the promise of the Father that the first of five powerful spirit-filled events in the New Testament took place. They heard a sound. Sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, I don't know if there was a wind. I don't know if curtains blew, but there was a sound. And down from the skies came cloven tongues as of fire and lit upon them, and they began to worship God in languages they did not know. They're thinking, we're speaking the wonderful works of God, but foreign words are coming out of their mouth. And people from various countries were understanding and hearing the good news of how wonderful God is in these languages. There is another event that took place in Samaria. That was event initiated by Philip as he's preaching the gospel. And then it was followed up by Peter and John where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, a marvelous supernatural event of the kingdom of God. 
And then there was the time at Cornelius' house. And this is a sermon in itself, but it won't be this morning. It was a wonderful time where Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman, hated by the Jews and the Jews hated by the Romans, he came to change allegiances. By the presence of God and the use of the gifts of the Spirit, by the Apostle Peter, who was a reluctant apostle at that time, did not want to go to this man's house. God saved this centurion. And no longer was his first loyalty to Caesar. His first loyalty became to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then there's a solitary event of a man on his way to kill Christians. On the road to Damascus, a man named Saul knocked into the dirt, hearing the voice of Jesus from heaven. His heart was transformed and changed. He's filled with the Spirit. He's converted and commissioned to go to the nations. And then in Acts 19, verse 6, there's believers in Ephesus. The Greek pagan culture was impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the most difficult cultures to impact with it today is the American culture. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to tell you, I want to remind you, that some people are saying we're in a post-Christian America. I think we're in a pre-Christian America. We can see God do it again. Turn to your neighbor, will you? God can do it again. Just tell him, God can do it again. And he'll do it for you. He'll do it for me. He'll do it in me. He'll do it in my neighborhood, in my community. The power of God, the presence of God is available to us just as it was in that first century. Jesus said these words in Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. Are we in the end times? I think so. But I hear so many believers tell me that, did you hear about that mass of earthquakes? We're in the end times. What does that have to do with the end times? There's wars, there's rumors of war. We're in the end times. Do you know what the Bible says? You'll hear wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes in various places, and the end is not yet. I don't know how we get things messed up. But here is a sure sign. This gospel. The good news shall be preached in all the earth. And then, and then, and then, the end, which is really the beginning, the conclusion of all things and a brand new age. Jesus is coming again. God's plan revealed in creation will become complete when Christ returns. So I want to remind you that we should be in preparation for a fresh start. God's Son will head our way again. John 14, 3, the words of Jesus. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Woo. Give him thanks, will you, church? He is coming to take you. This is not Loony, far-fetched. I've been reading too much sci-fi. I'm a fan of sci-fi. How many of you like sci-fi? Okay. And everybody else can look around and say, there's all the nuts in the crowd. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, somebody one time, I was watching something, I don't know if it's Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever, and they were doing something on evolution. I said, well, see, that's why you shouldn't watch that stuff. I said, no, I like fiction.
I know the truth. And maybe some of the stuff shouldn't watch so I don't offend my weaker brothers. But <laughs> this is not myth. It's not a metaphor for the abstract. It's not a figure of speech. Listen to the words of angels. Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples and others are watching him ascend into heaven. And the angel says, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus not some other Jesus. He physically and bodily rose, physically and bodily went into the heavens, and he will physically and bodily open the heavens and come again for you. That is the promise of Scripture. It's Jesus' promise. It's the angel's promise. It is the Father's promise. He will come through the heavens. Gazing in heavens, waiting for him is not our job. Our job is to be filled with the Spirit and take the kingdom to the ends of the earth until that day this same Jesus will return. World, world history looks back at his first arrival in Bethlehem, but his church is to anticipate his return, the return in which the world fears. His return, it is no hoax but it is a paradox. Many have tried to predict it, go through the scriptures, whether you're trying to put the feast of Israel together or so on, but he tells us that we are not to know. That day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. We may have a sense that it's nigh, it's at hand, but I'm telling you, we don't know. I thought it would be long before now. Of course, when I was 18, I knew everything. How many of you at 18 knew everything? Okay. You reversed those numbers at 18. That's my age now. I know an awful lot about what I don't know. <laughs> the great part of a good education is when you discover how ignorant you really are. That's a whole other message. You see, we have the promise of this. And as I look across this crowd, there are faces I know that are no longer here. They have preceded me into the presence of God. We miss them here. But the scriptures are clear that believers will go to him and will go to him either through death Resurrection, or if we're living, what's called a translation. The great apostle Paul said it this way to his church at Thessalonica in his first letter. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I had a good friend who was a Presbyterian. I'm not picking on Presbyterians. They were good, godly people. But uh, yet their worship style is a little different than ours. And he always said it that. She says, that's evidence that the Presbyterians will go first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> well, that's not what it means. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I've always figured that in Christ will rise first because they have further to go than those of us that are alive. 
that's just me. Can't prove that from scripture. The scriptures are clear. He will come to us. He will come for us. And he will come with us. How does that happen? It can only happen if the second coming of Christ has two phases. One where he comes for us and one where he brings us back to this earth again. I'm not going to go into great detail, but just tell you that is why I believe in a word that you will not find in the Bible, but you will find the event. There are multiple aspects of his return. Dead people came out of the graves when Jesus did. Read the last part of Matthew. You'll discover that, you know, people that had recently died were seen walking around the city. Jesus brought them with them. Somehow, at his ascension or before his ascension, they went on into heaven. Well, what do we call that? Elijah was caught up into heaven. What, what's a good word for that? In the Bible, the book of Revelation, there are two witnesses that are witnessing for Christ and they're killed and then before everybody, the whole world sees them, rise from the dead and caught up into heaven. What's a good word for that? Oh, there's 144,000 Israelites in the book of Revelation. And once we see them on the earth ministering Jesus to the multitudes and then we see him in heaven, they must have been caught up. There's a word for that. And if you look in your concordance in your Bible for the word rapture, you will not find it. You will not find the word rapture, but you will find rapture again and again, the event called rapture. There's not just one, there are many. Catching up is all that that word means. And this is God's mighty rescue of his church referred to in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He said, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's a great deal of discussion whether Jesus will come and take his church out mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib. This message is not about that. And anybody here that believes differently than I do on that, continue to love me. And I'll work on loving you. I'm among the pre-trib. Some of you, oh, thank God. Doesn't mean we won't have tribulations. The first church had tribulation, and it wasn't the tribulation. John said there's many antichrists in the world now, but there's still the man of sin to come. I am just going to remind you when we talk about the coming of the Lord, it's our task to work and do what Jesus said to do in the power of the Spirit. And he never told us to sit around and try to figure out who the Antichrist was. It's enough to know there's an Antichrist. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, a judgment is coming on the earth, and that judgment is to bring Israel to Christ. We call it the tribulation. I understand the scripture to say that the believers will be taken first. Then there will be the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. But you know what? We love each other even if we see things different. Because let me tell you a little secret. And this is for sure. Jesus is coming when Jesus is coming. No matter what I think. No matter what you think. He is coming again. Today the kingdom of God is represented by the reality that the king is present. 
Is the king in your heart? Is the king in your heart? If he is not, don't leave this building without you making him the king of your heart. All you need to do is turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ and be born again, as was explained to Nicodemus. And then you see, really see the kingdom. It's a start. It's not the end. It's the start. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's baptism in water. There's a constant growing in grace. There is the kingdom of God unfolding in your life to make you a son or a daughter of the living God. The king is here by his spirit today, but someday a kingdom not of this world will come and rule this world when the king returns. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we as a church believe. I close with this passage of scripture from the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11. I, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire in his head. And on his head were many crowns. and a name written and no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. White and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you say it with me? King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, say it loudly. King of kings and Lord of lords. We welcome you. Say it, church. King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you stand? And I'm going to ask as you stand. If there's anyone that wants prayer or wants to be in prayer, the altars are open as we sing. If there's been an area that's been shaky in your life as a believer, and you need God's special grace for that area. Would you just, would you just wave at me? I say, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I'm going to pray for you as we end this service. Release your faith to receive from God as we sing his forgiveness, his strength, his grace. And now, church, together, lift your voices and rejoice in the King. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 830 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.